from Noble Robot on East Hennepin Avenue in support of Minneapolis. This is Nice Games Club, the show where nice game devs talk gaming and game development. I'm Ellen Burns Johnson, and I make nice games. I'm Stephen McGregor, and I make nice games. And I'm Martha Croy, I too make nice games. For this week's episode, our topics are breakable games and support systems. So if everyone is ready, let's start. Now let's start. <laughs> so I, I was definitely spacing out for a couple seconds when uh-huh. you started the music, and I am so well conditioned at this point that it just like came out of my mouth without my conscious thought. Right. Wow. I do not have that still. Every single time I've, I've said this several times on the show. Every single time I read the script, I have to read the script. Um, yeah, listeners, you should see him just moments before we start. He's a wreck. Yeah. <laughs> I really am. And then and then it always goes fine. Well, sometimes. <laughs> a lot of times it goes fine. It's true. Um, okay, so I have some big news right at the top. Share the big news. Um, I am officially, sort of officially, a co-owner of Future Club. Okay, hold up. <laughs> sort of officially? Okay, so <laughs> we had a meeting. The um the shareholders of Future Club had a meeting and right. they were like big long table, large yeah. tall backed chairs. Yep, yep. Fast and I you know, I was in a little tiny calling crow in the background. <laughs> I was in a little tiny chair, you know, yeah. they're all staring at me. Was, um was everybody on a screen? Was it like a meeting room of big big screens with people on them? No, they were really honestly, it was just like three people on camera, including myself. Yeah. Okay. And then like, you know, ten uh, other people or whatever. Um uh, and they had a meeting to determine whether or not, you know, I would be a good fit for uh, as a co owner. Right, um, shareholder of Future Club. If listeners don't know, Stephen has been working as an employee of Future Club yes. for the past year and change. Right, right, right. And that's partly due to the fact that, like, you know, it's difficult to kick somebody out if you don't like them, so you don't want them to be co-owner right away in um, a co-op. In a co-op, yes, because right. Future what Club is a co-op. Yes, right, right, right. Um, and so, uh, you know, they had that meeting, and basically how it worked, I got all dressed up. I was wearing a tie. It's really, it's really fancy, and they were all holding in their laughter. <laughs> no, oh, they they mean. all said I looked there. <laughs> I was well dressed. <laughs> they appreciated the effort, yeah. even though it was unnecessary because it's like a three minute meeting. Yeah. They just, um, you know, they, um, the CEO of the company, Franny, she said, uh, "Does anybody feel that Stephen would not fit?" And nobody said anything. Thank goodness. Right. So, uh, they're all holding it back. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what they're holding back. Uh, is the criticism. <laughs> um, and you know, so then I got it. Uh, uh, I'm officially a co-owner, sort of. The, when I say sort of, it's because the the actual proper the paperwork, like, and the paperwork that, and stuff yeah. has not gone through yet. Right. Um, maybe by the time this episode is out, that would be the case. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So a while ago, I, when 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 you started at this job, and yes. you about, at some point they will we will decide if I am able to to buy in and be an owner. Mm-hmm. Um, I asked you like, is that actually something you have to invest in? And uh, it turns out just technically, yes, you have to give them a dollar. I just send them a dollar. Yeah. Right. Um, and it's great. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of that, a lot of because it's a co-op i think a lot of that is due like that stuff comes out of our salaries and stuff and i you know i benefit when the company benefits yes so you know if our games sell well i get some of them right Right. legally you have to purchase some ownership Mm -hmm. but but the way the the company is run they're not asking you to invest actual money right you're not an investor i mean it was an actual dollar right yeah well that's how they get (laughs) which is great yeah you know i mean co-ops depending on their financial solvency like they can't just give away shares and dilute everybody's ownership right like just willy-nilly so the fact that 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 is the way they operate mm-hmm. and it also means that they need to be very discerning as to who who can help dilute the ownership right. of the thing yeah. uh, which means profit sharing and all that stuff so mm-hmm. it's 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 a really good sign uh, like you say it was just a 3 minute meeting like it was no big deal yeah. but it for the company it's a big deal to take on a new owner and yeah. so congratulations right thank you yeah and i mean that's like why we have that year whole process right yeah. is so yeah. they can 
test out the waters, make sure that this person meshes well with the company, right. but also, you know, is sustainable enough. In right. The, because you yeah. could be fired at some point for some crazy uh, stunt you pull, yeah. but you will still be an owner. Yes. That's, yeah. a, exactly. that's a separate process. Exactly. Right. And you are still an employee in that you get paid a salary, right. even though you are, uh, they're separate things, mm-hmm. technically. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Very cool. Um, I'm really glad. Uh, I feel like as soon as I, got hired at this place and my first day I was like I'm going to be co-owner because <laughs> I had the option to not be co-owner but I was like Shh, yeah 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 of course I'm if you want to save that yeah. dollar yeah <laughs> it's too risky <laughs> I could buy a pack of M&M's with that uh, <laughs> I'm not even sure you could yeah you can't anywhere I don't think uh, okay so that's my news Ellen you've got some news uh, yeah kind of sort of Kind of, sort of. Kind of, sort of. Okay. Yeah, top um, bat is what you're right? saying. Yes. I can't. Yeah, fair enough. But we did get our Steam Deck. Aye. Did our eye. That's Pretty big. Cool. Yeah. The kind of, sort of part is, I mean, it's firmly in our house and it's set up and fully powered and there are games installed on it, mm. but they are all my husband's games because- I'm pretty sure he's hiding it during the day. <laughs> like, I mean, like, I've been really busy this year. You yeah. guys have heard that mm-hmm. throughout kind of a theme for 2022. And that's good. Like, and kind of, it's it's good. Um, but I haven't played nearly as many games as I want to. And so I, it's only been a couple of days that like arrived on Wednesday. And so I don't really feel like I'm messing out, but I haven't had any time with it yet. And I'm really excited. So when he's out doing his like athletic stuff this weekend, I'm going to be playing video games. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Cool. I got my hands on one, a friend of ours who's a, a, a fellow board member on the uh, uh, IDGA Twin Cities board. He brought his to a board meeting. Oh. And I got to play with it a little bit. Cool. Yeah. Um, and so just get a feel of it, of the physical hardware. And How it does is, it feel? It's just like a big switch. Yeah? Um, okay. And it's got nicer grips. Sure. Uh, and the controllers don't come off. But okay. otherwise, I think I had like a minute with it. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's It seems like a well-built piece of hardware, mm, which yeah. itself is a bit of a surprise from Valve. Yeah. Um, which is pretty exciting. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've liked, I've liked their stuff. Um, pretty much across the board when it comes to hardware. I was like probably one of the few fans of the Steam controller. Mm. Yeah. Still have them, still use them. Um, they're not like, they don't, they're not great, but if they're like an all purpose thing, then if, if yeah. you get something that's all purpose, then sometimes you're going to make some sacrifices. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was what I was thinking of actually. Cause yeah. I like, I like the design of the Steam controller. Yeah. As critical as I am of Valve in every which way, mm-hmm. I thought it was a very clever, innovative, they made some compromises to that vision a little bit, but I was very clever. I just thought it was kind of a cheaply made product. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I think of all the controllers out there in the world, the Steam controller has always been the one that felt the best in my hands. Oh, yeah? Oh. Yeah. Um, and I wish that I could just get that controller, but without the weird touch pads. And yeah, just have, yeah, you know, that sort of inverted uh, grips. It I, is a clever uh, ergonomic style. Yeah, I do like that. And I, I like the the um the bottom switches. Those are pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just wish that I could have got it as like yeah. a twin stick. You know? Interesting. The Steam Deck is is really it's, it has sort of wings. Mm. It's more like a traditional sort of Xbox style controller. Yeah. Um, but the very high quality from the, the minute I had with it. Yeah, I mean the reviews have been really great. I just like I gotta get my gotta get my fingies on there. I yeah, gotta get yeah. my sticky yeah. hands on this device that see which games yeah. uh, uh, look good on a, a six inch screen. Right? <laughs> you know, so I was I was watching Eric. I was watching over Eric's shoulder. Um, when he, we first got it on Wednesday night and he was playing Monster Hunter and it was really nice. Like yeah. I, you know, we were just like cuddled up next to each other and I was just looking over his shoulder and he was just fighting beasts. And <laughs> then there was me and I could see everything he was doing. Sound sounded, and he had the speakers going. It was, it was fine. Okay. It was really nice. That's cool. So, and I'm like one of the, I'm a person who likes watching other people play games. So yeah. 
it's going to be, it's going to be good. But yeah. this weekend I'm going to get my own hands on it and then yeah. find a little cave and I'm going to hide in it. Yeah. I was going to say, you got to hide it from him now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. he can't get it. That right. Time. And you can't just buy another one because they're still hard. They're yes. still hard to get. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, like, yeah, we'll, we'll sort it out. Mm. I kind of want to play with it as like a, a little mini Linux device. Yeah. Like that sort of excites me more than it does as a game console mm -hmm. for some reason. Mm. Um, I mean, because I don't have one, I guess. I would probably feel differently if I had one. But it just seems cool that it's this little tinker box. That's something yeah. that's really cool about the Steam Deck is that because it's using Linux software, like games are trying to be more supportive of Linux now. One well, of I mean, with that compatibility layer. Yeah. That. Because initially, Valve did make a big push about three or four years ago. Like when they were doing "quote unquote" Steam machines, that was a big fat failure. Yeah, they were trying to get developers to make Linux versions. They were like, you know, um, uh, placing games that had Linux versions higher in in results. Mm -hmm. They they basically was like, this is a more gamer friendly when they're available on multiple platforms. Yeah, but really, it was their effort to push Linux as a platform so that Steam machines would be successful. Yeah, big failure. Yeah, De developers were not interested. The Linux, I mean, the Mac market is tiny and the Linux market is smaller. Yeah, yeah. And, right. um, but, uh, so in the meantime, a, an open source compatibility layer that just run window game, Windows games on Linux mm -hmm. got better and better and better. Mm -hmm. So basically the Steam decks can play pretty much any Windows game. Yeah. And so there's less of a demand to make native Linux versions. But now that the Steam deck is a big hit, it might lead to people just making, even though they don't necessarily have to anymore, because it might perform better if they're native Linux. Yeah. Even though that compatibility layer is pretty good, yeah. I hear. Yeah. Yeah. It was kind of interesting. Uh, uh, Skullgirls ended up being compatible, even though we didn't put any effort into it. Right? <laughs> Specifically because of that. Because one of the developers, like a big gunhole person for um, Linux. So, yeah. It ended up being compatible just a uh, happenstance. That's which nice. is kind of <laughs> nice. Yeah. Mark, you also have some news. Here. I have some news. And I you would have heard this in the middle of the show a couple weeks ago. But mm -hmm. we know that sometimes you skip. The middle of the show. Yeah, that's rude. Don't that, do you know, that. We're not, no judgment, but Steven's judging you. Yeah, I'm judging. Um, <laughs> listen listen how you want, man. Yeah. But so, <laughs> so we've operated uh, out of uh, Noble Robot, as we yep. say at the top of the show, um, for almost a year. Mm -hmm. Almost a year. Yeah, yeah. Um, when we opened this place. And uh, it's a co-working space in Minneapolis. At the time that I launched it, <laughs> the idea was, oh, well, COVID is not going to go away, but it's we're we're on the outs. Yeah. And then Delta hit and then Omicron hit and right. the world changed. Yeah. Um I think we're we're definitely now in a position where like the pandemic is like settled into a a mode. It's still it's still here and it still sucks. Yes. But it it's not going up and down the way it had did last year. Yeah. Yeah. Right? I mean that's as just the consistency is perhaps welcome, but it's also frustrating that it's at the level it's at still. Right. Yeah. In any case, that's a whole reason why essentially I didn't put a lot of effort into trying to get this place crowded. Mm. Um, and basically reaching out only uh, just to close friends uh, who may either already be in my bubble or I can uh, sort of, I don't have to, I, di I didn't want a lot of guests and strangers in the space yeah. at the start, yeah, even sure. though I was hoping for that. Mm -hmm. um, but now it's been long enough and uh, things are a little bit more consistent. So whether it's still not, the pandemic's still not where I would like it, I now feel much more comfortable sort of opening the place up officially yeah. in a sense. And so th to that end, um, I updated the website for Noble Robot, noblerobot.com. Hey. And if you go to noblerobot.com slash office, 
you can see um, a lot of details about the space. And if you are local to Minneapolis uh, or you want to make the drive every day, I don't know why you would. <laughs> but um, if you're uh, uh, nearby and when you'd like a place to work out of, then we are here for you. Uh, it's very much suited to remote work. Um, the three of us have desks here mm -hmm. and um, it is great for folks who uh, either are, are they are freelancers or they work on small teams um, and, you know, uh, a, a place to go that isn't the company office. Yeah. Um, I know people like working from home has been a really ben a big benefit for a lot of people. But I know for me, it's nice to be able to go home and not think about it. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And so if that's you, um, even just a couple of days a week, um, then I think a co-working space is a good option. Yes. And so that's my pitch. If you're local to Minneapolis, uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul area, uh, we, you know, give us a, a call. You can uh, sign up for a, a tour right on the, the page, or you can set up a video call with me if you have questions. Yeah. yeah. But now I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit more, I'm, I'm ready to, to make this a little bit of business. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, the whole idea was to never make a profit on it, and said, and I've priced desks to the point where we fill this place up, and I'm still making zero dollars. Mm -hmm. um, this is always going to be a cost for me, um, because one of the things I want to do is I want to make this a community hub for game development in the Twin Cities, and I can't really be focused on trying to make a lot of money. I'm just gonna, yeah. I'm just gonna be focused on keeping the lights on. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. And that's gonna cost me money, but that's fine. A noble effort from Noble Robot. There you go. Oh, nice. <laughs> Nice. But also, by that token, I still need to keep track of budgets and I still need to, I can't just be tossing right. money away. Yeah, so I need yeah. to have some consistency. But um, but if you're wondering, well, that's going to cost a lot of money. It doesn't cost that much money. Um, yeah. Uh, these two can attest. Yes. Um, but yeah, Correct. take a look and see if it's for you. NobleRobot.com slash office. Lots of food nearby. Lots of food. Yeah. If you're interested in lunch. Oh my gosh. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, and one, I mean, last thing before we bounce off this topic, and I've tricked you all by putting a, an ad in the, at the top of the show, <laughs> is we, you know, we record here at, in, in, at Noble Robot, mm -hmm. and we record in the clubhouse. It's a separate room that I had built when they put this place together, specifically to be a turnkey uh, podcast studio. Yes. So if you are want to do uh, uh, voiceover uh, performances or narration, or you have your own podcast and would like it to have a permanent home, um, maybe you can make your home here. Um, and that's separate from uh, co-working in the office. Yes. Um, yeah. If you're interested in, in in recording out of here, we have a video conference set up for remote guests, and you can have four in person guests. Uh, so if you want to do your podcast here, the space you, is a con it's a conference room most of the week, and then it's nice games club when we record. So it has a lot of potential for more use by more people. So it if does. that's you, again, let me know. Yeah. All right. Last piece of meta at the top of the show. Last piece of meta. Ellen. Me. Um, my wife uh, made you go see a play, and you loved it. Well, okay. So last. <laughs> yeah. It was such a, no, she <laughs> dragged me in the car and she put me in the trunk and drove me to a play. And uh, I just happened to be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then there was Stephen. Um, no, the last couple of weeks here in the Twin Cities have been the Fringe Festival. Mm -hmm. So Fringe Festival uh, is a theater festival. Yep. I think they also had like lots of kind of outdoor performances and dance as well this year. Yeah. Uh, it's the first time back in person since the pandemic. And so they, they have, they, they've tried to do some other things to get more people uh, invested. Yeah. And Minneapolis, St. Paul area or like Minnesota Fringe Fest is pretty big from what I understand. Yeah. 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 Of all the fringes and all the metros, it ranks pretty well. Yep. Yeah. It's up there. And I think it's one of the larger ones, one of the largest ones that, where the selections for the plays is actually random. I don't remember. Yes. The, yeah. the, the drawing is completely random. Yeah. Um, you, you just throw your hat in the ring and you do not have to have any theater experience yes and if they pick you you got to put on a show yeah yes yeah so it's uh it's a really cool way to see all sorts of really innovative theater 
uh, performances and I've been to things that are super small, like in, at the Bryant Lake Bowl Theater and yeah. then things that are really, really big. And it, it's just super fun. My favorite thing about Fringe is that it you get to see a bunch of theaters you've never been to. Yeah. Minneapolis has so many small theaters. Yeah. We have a couple of heavy hitters and a couple of mid-sized places that are like are, are staples of the community. But there's lots of little theaters mm-hmm. in town and and. Uh, the Fringe Festival is hosted at all of them. Yeah, it's all over the place. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, like yeah, we got like we've got big theaters like the Orpheum where they have concerts and things like that, yeah. and then we've got like I mean we've got the Blue Place that I'm Theater in the Round. Well, Theater in the Round is a Blue Place. Yeah, I guess lots of stuff in Minneapolis, St. Paul's Blue. Oh, you mean Guthrie? I meant the Guthrie. Yeah, Guthrie's is a huge, huge place. That's the huge. biggest theater in town. I don't think they part- do. They participate in. Fringe? I don't think they participate. They're all, they're like the only place that's too big for Fringe. Yeah, they've got like yeah, they've got. Lots of really big shows. Anyway, but there's a lot of theater happening in the Twin Cities and for the Fringe, like it happens all over the place and it goes on for like two weeks and there are like a bazillion, like five or six shows every night. Yeah. It's really cool. There's like 200 some plays. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's a lot. Of, it was a lot it's of great. plays. Like it is random, but you get a lot of people coming back and doing additional productions and you get a lot of really experienced theater people. So it's such a perfect mix of like the all of the innovation in the theater community, but also a bunch of like first timers trying out new things. Yeah. It's it's a it's a perfect balance of of like you know you're gonna see a bunch of great shows. Yeah. But you also you can, by roll of the die, put on your first show. Mm-hmm. It's such it's a great balance. Yeah, it's really, really cool. And then when, if you're doing that and you get if and you, you come up with a six, like and you get to put on your first show, you've got great exposure because you got all these people just like walking down the street from theater to theater with yeah. their fringe buttons on. Mm-hmm. You know, they saw this one hour show and then they're just walking ten minutes and they're gonna see their next well it's like fifty minute shows. But anyway, why are we talking about this on this it, it's on my same club? <laughs> Well, there was a show on this year's Fringe called Developers. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it was a story, a 50-minute play, one-act play, um, with a pretty big cast, I thought, for a one-act play mm-hmm. that um, that was all about game development. And it like told the story of this fictional studio building a fictional game yeah. mm-hmm. and doing it in a way where like, we kind of followed like, this, this slice of these developers' careers and learned about the industry and how it works uh, through the story of what was happening on stage. And, you know, Steven and I didn't learn anything new, right. but we had, <laughs> yeah. a, had a really good time. And I thought they did a fantastic job of like capturing the dynamics of mm-hmm. stuff, especially like the indie versus triple A. Like, yeah. They made lots of fun of EA. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, I, yeah. Ellen loved the play, you know, talking about it like the whole time. Well, I mean, we were both talking about it the whole time we were leaving it, yeah. but like, <laughs> You were so excited. You were congratulating all the actors and stuff. The yeah, whole well, they time. were. Kept, I mean, as a small theater, right? So yeah. when they're when they're they doing would the walk, play, everyone's like walking right by. They would walk right oh, past. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you could be like, "You did a really great job." Mm-hmm. And I know from seeing enough fringe plays in years past, the actors do love it when the audience engages with them yeah. because they don't know if the show is going to be a success, right? <laughs> yeah, and so it's great just to get that feedback. It's really nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think they were. I think that performance actually was like the last play of that fringe of yeah. the fringe festival. Yeah. So they were all very tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. So yeah, uh, uh, my wife Dale uh, volunteers at the fringe. So yes. um, uh, it's all the all the front houses of all these theaters um, because it's uh, pretty busy all for those two weeks. Yeah. They need a lot of extra staff to run those places, and Dale volunteers um, and was really happy to go back again this year. And yeah, she saw the play uh, in its first performance. And then she was like, you guys got to come see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we went to see it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It was worth it. Um, I, I 
there were some inaccuracies, but as yeah. game developers, we're going to know the inaccuracies. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but yeah. And, and nitpicks are? <laughs> I don't want to get into all the details. <laughs> but um, I mean, specifically like the Kickstarter stuff. Anyway, uh, <laughs> yes. I could go on to it for a while. Some of the numbers were off. Some of those numbers off. didn't make any sense. <laughs> but I think a lot of the emotional impact of game development, AAA, and indie spaces, I think that is realistic. Yeah. Uh, they, they captured that quite well, I would mm -hmm. say. Yeah. So, yeah, it was cool. I don't know. I guess since it's a fringe play, I don't know if you'll be able to see that outside of where we saw it. Yeah, sometimes these are the things are put on for the fringe, and then that's the life they have. And yeah. sometimes they're things that uh, have life beyond. It's almost right. like a jam game, in a, yeah. in a sense. Uh, there's a little more to it than a jam game I, I, in terms of the effort going in. And the, mm -hmm. Because it's a lot of they, they charge people to see the thing. But um, sometimes that's just the only opportunity. It's like it's the context is perfect, and then... You wouldn't want to uh, do it any of the time or you wouldn't, you know, that's the end of it. But other times it does go on. So I am sort of curious about this one because a lot of times the thing about Fringe that's great is you do get these very specifically specific topics yep. that you'd have a hard time selling a house, uh, a full house of it, it normally. Mm -hmm. it's not the, you know, you're, you go to the Fringe to see like a bunch of niche things, whereas you go to the theater to, a lot of times just to see something you think you're probably going to like. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. And so f you, you get a lot of buy-in on Fringe to do weird or different things. Yeah. And so this is a, an, an example of something very specific that it would probably be harder to draw an audience to mm -hmm. um, in a normal environment. Yeah. So I wonder if it, it'll, if it, we'll put a link to it in the show notes and maybe uh, people can check to see if it, uh, if it's going to be staged again some, some other time. Yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. Well, and even if, you know, you don't have a chance to see the play developers in the future, you definitely check out the Fringe Festival next year if you happen, if you happen to be in the yeah. area in August because. And if you, yeah, if you live, you know, near any major metro, check out the Fringe in your area. Oh, yeah. Because most major places do have something. Sometimes it's a little thing. Sometimes it's a whole two-week festival like we've got. But um, you probably have something similar going on near you, wherever you are, and don't even realize it. Yeah. So, so my topic is inspired by something very specific. Okay. Um, I've been watching this YouTube show called No More Jockeys, which is a, uh, a game that is played by three comedians mm -hmm. that they started during the pandemic um, as, a, you know, sort of like... Something time, to do. People were locked in their... Yeah, yeah. Oh, something to do and, yeah. and, and to serve their audiences because right. they couldn't go do shows. Right, right, right. Um, and so the uh, the premise of No More Jockeys, it's, a, it's sort of just a simple game where uh, the first person comes up with the name of anybody. Okay. So I will say like Nancy Reagan. And sure. Then, and then I will say, okay, uh, no more uh, people who's, who, uh, have, who are related to someone more famous than they are. Oh, okay. And then it goes to the next player. Yeah. And Steven, you have to come up with someone. Oh, uh, uh, oh gosh. Uh, J James Brown. Okay. <laughs> and then I have to come up with a rule based off of and that. And you have to come up with a rule, something that this person falls into and you say no more of this type of person. No more R&B artists. Yep. That's perfectly fine. Okay, cool. And now, now that you've said the rule. Yeah. Before Ellen goes, we now have an opportunity to say to challenge you if it broke any of the prior rules. Oh, sure, but mm -hmm. but early in the game, that's not going to happen. Yeah, and that's how it works. You just okay. go through, and every time you say someone, you have to say no more something that that person is, and it mm. could just be something very simple. You can say no more men. Yeah, you can you just say like yeah, no more jockeys. Right, yeah. that's where the thing comes from. Okay, and the game goes around, and that's it. That's the whole game. That seems very hard. Because <laughs> yeah. you have to remember each time. And yes. sometimes the rules are very interesting. Yeah. You can say no more, no more people who wear, um, when you think about them, 
the 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 letter first letter of their first name comes earlier in the alphabet than the first letter of their last name. Oh my god! Right? It could be anything. Yeah. I quit. <laughs> I quit this game. Right. That's so the, the reason I brought this up yeah. is because it's a game that is very breakable. Oh yeah. Okay. So for example, I can say, um, you know, uh, I can uh, name a person and I can say no more men. Yeah. And Stephen, well, then you can't name a man, but then you name a woman and then say no more women. And there it is. And then Ellen can't name anybody. Well, because anyone she names, we would successfully challenge. I could name a non-binary person. Exactly right. Yes. yes. So that's maybe a bad example. Well, yeah, but then you, yeah, but it's obviously you could break it. Right. By in it. fact, and, and now that I think about it, when the when that had that actually came up yeah. in one of the episodes, ah, but they had they had closed that loophole. It was okay. no more men and no more non-men. Is what oh, was oh. but basically, <laughs> well, there, is. there is nothing in the rules of this game. Yeah. prevents that. Yeah. So it is, it's broken. Game is yes. broken. Like there, yeah. are, there are that and many other ways to break the game. Yeah. Um, and so the, my topic essentially yep. is um, the, turn of exploring the virtue of a, of a game that is broken. Oh, fascinating. Because I think one of the things that you see in this game, one, it's played by the same three people every time. Yeah. So that is part of it. It's a, it's a, it's a YouTube show, right? Mm-hmm. You can play the game if you want with your friends, but they never promoted it that way. They've yeah. never said like, this is a game that you can play with your friends. Yeah. They're like, this is the game we play on this YouTube show. Okay. Even though it is playable by everybody else. Yeah. Um, in fact, one of the rules of the game is there's a, one of the, one of the comedians is named Tim Key. Mm-hmm. And wh- one of the official rules of the game is key to start. Okay. Which means he goes first every time. <laughs> okay. And, cool. And that is not balanced, but that yeah. is a rule of that game. Yeah. Right. And part of it, these are comedians, so there's some comedy to it. Right. It? But they right. do actually play this game. Okay. And so I, I want to talk about how we as designers are always looking for edge cases. Yeah. Um, and always thinking about like how this could be, how this could break and how can we plug up that loophole. Mm-hmm. When in a game like No More Jockeys, it is breakable. And what that does is that that puts the burden on the players to keep it afloat. Mm, okay. In a way that is similar for a lot of party games. Yeah. Where you can, you could break them. And then it, uh, you've probably all done this with, have, you, know, you have one cousin at family game night who is playing so strategically that it ruins the fun for everybody. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Right? Because they're not playing in the spirit of the game. That's my whole family. <laughs> <laughs> right. If everyone's playing that way, then you probably need a different game. Yeah. But, uh, but, <laughs> but that, right. that can work. Yeah. Right? But there are certain types of games that are that can be broken and it ruins the game. Right, sure. And part of me is like, that's maybe okay. Mm. Maybe that's a virtue of, of the game. Okay. So that's kind of where I'm starting. Okay. Interesting. Because uh, that sounds... I knew you wouldn't like yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds very oppositional to me as yeah. a person. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, I want to... Yeah, I'm, I'm interested well, I think to about, this. Like, when you do plug up all those loopholes, mm-hmm. like, you can actually start making the game less fun. Yeah, by, that's true. By, but it's like, well, this isn't going to work. It's like, well, but it's like, well, I have to, this edge case is definitely possible. And once people know about it, they will exploit it. Right. So we need to fix it. And then they end up making the game, in order to fix that, you make the game not as fun as it was when it was broken. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, and that's so true. I wonder how much, how much opportunity we lose as designers when we are concerned about all of those things. Mm-hmm. Well, it, frankly, a lot of games can be broken because we're not really designing games like okay, so like speedrunners, for instance, right? Yeah. If you played like a speedrunner at, at every game, that would you know break it in a lot of a lot of different ways. Yeah. Um. Um. But what keeps that working is that speedrunning techniques require as much or more practice yes. than just playing the game through. A lot of times yeah. they do. Yes. Right. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes it's a really simple thing. Yep. Uh. But like you know, as a casual player, you wouldn't know. You wouldn't think to do it. Right. Way. And even when you don't do learn it. You, you wouldn't have as much fun doing it. Yeah, so, so you, you don't do you it. You don't bother with it. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's essentially, so this is not limited to board games or right. party games, right? Yeah. Mm. 
Okay. I think about games that have scoring systems, and yeah. it, it's become th- this is a good piece of news, a, a good uh, uh, trend, yeah. which is a lot of games are letting you. Uh, they for a long time uh, achievements were seen as as really sacrosanct, mm. and so if you put it on easy mode or you put like an assist mode on, yeah, then you wouldn't be able to get the achievement for a certain thing. Yep. For the most part, that that trend has reversed. Yeah. Most developers are now. Uh, and they will even say so explicitly, like, yes, you can still get the achievement even if you turn on cheat modes. Yeah. Because I think it, we all recognize that that's such a sour attitude mm-hmm. is to think that achievements are that important or that people really compare, really care about comparing achievements. Yeah. And so that's a similar thing where I feel like we just let the players decide whether to play in the spirit of, of competition or not. We don't need to impose a ton of rules on them yeah. just yeah. because that's less fun, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I guess with the, the case of achievements, I think people, well. Is, I mean, this is the reason why I don't like them. But I think people like do uh, use it as a sense of pride, so they, you know, you got the achievement that allowed you to beat, or you beat Melania and Elden Ring, or whatever. Um, and mm-hmm. some people beat it with magic, and then they don't consider that. Some people are like, "That's not really beating it." Right. But like, ultimately, if you get the achievement, it doesn't matter, right? Um, so yeah, I guess right. It's everything is all very contextual. It's like, yeah, what does matter mean? Yeah, what does you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that uh, that's a, that's an example where I think we are as a as an industry letting go of needing to have that sort of consistency to it. You yes. Know? Um, I think a lot about like online leaderboards and okay, how yeah. like it doesn't matter what the names of the people on the leaderboard are. Mm-hmm. So why do we even give them to you? You know, little mm-hmm. things like that, little, little things that like information that's like uh, that. I, and so if we don't give, if we so okay, well, we don't need to list the names. So why, why don't we just uh, put you up randomly against 30 other people and then you compete against them instead of everyone on the internet. Yeah. And like, and is that like, that makes the game feel different, right? Yes. And you also maybe have a slightly better chance mm-hmm. of, of, of ranking on a leaderboard and providing that satisfaction that a leaderboard provides. Um, Cause when you think of someone who is like, I, you know, I'm, I'm in the top a hundred in a game and it's like, but I don't know any of the other players. Yeah. And so like, it's a, it has a different kind of value. Yeah. And I think that there's just a lot more, we have a lot more creativity when we just decide like, let's, not worry about the thing being perfect. Yes. I agree with that. Mm-hmm. And I agree that oftentimes, you know, when you're designing things to be less breakable, you're designing some of the fun out of the game. Yeah. But I also, you know, I like the spirit of competition. Right. <laughs> and so I think that like having having something that is breakable can potentially ruin the game for other people. Yeah. Um due to that. Um, and I, I think having that option, it's difficult. I mean, specifically when you're talking about, I mean, especially with board games, particularly because like most of the times that's just a specific personal kind of thing. Yeah. There's no leader. Well, there are leaderboards for board games, but we're not counting that exactly. Yeah. Um, um, oftentimes it's just amongst friends or family or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like it's a lot easier to push the nuclear button <laughs> <laughs> and not and not and be able to deal with those consequences if you're just playing with folks you're close to and then just feel like well this game doesn't it doesn't you know it, it wasn't a good time because this happened and so like i don't want to play this again um yeah it, it does depend on like what is important to you what what do you value as a player of a game yes the experience or like the or not just the winning but like sometimes it's fun to come in second place because you almost won yeah and so that, that triggers the same kind of feelings as winning yeah so that, i don't mean to say that people only play if they win i mean yeah do you care about having a good time or are you really get satisfaction from from the competition element of it. Right. You know, and yeah. I guess it, you need to sort of have an agreement amongst the other players around you. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that's kind of how, like, that's how competition works. Yeah. Right. 
Like ultimately you are agreeing that these are the rules that you're going by. Right. And so you could decide as players that you're playing this game and it, it's broken. Like maybe you're, I don't know, you're playing tic-tac-toe. It's easy to solve. Right. Right. Um, um, and you just, everybody has to not pick the first or the center uh, square if you're going first. And that's how you decide to play the game. Right. And then you can have, I mean, that changes strategy is probably still pretty easy to break. Yeah. But I've got some things to say about tic-tac-toe. Yeah. But first, I think we've heard enough from the two of us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Ellen, I want to hear you talk about like that, those, that balance between like the, what everyone comes to a game with. Yeah. Do they need to agree ahead of time on the kind of fun to have? Well, is, that, is that more restrictive? Ooh, that's perhaps? really interesting. I think that is the crux of the question. I wanted to say that I think a better example than tic-tac-toe would have been maybe like Thumb Wars. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm being completely facetious. <laughs> oh, I was serious. Let's like, go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Case, well, there's, there's a certain playfairness to something like that. You, yeah. You like, could you could try to like poke someone with your fingernails. Like, get, your, get your trigger finger out. Are you able to keep, do you have to keep your elbows on the ground? On yeah, the table? there's lots of the governing that you would, you yeah. sort of just agree, okay, we're, I'm not going to lean against a wall or whatever. Yeah, right. yeah. To, to assist me here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Twist your arm. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I think, for the designer, for the designer, the choice is how much of the game experience is going to include some of that interpersonal interaction, right? Mm-hmm. Because some sometimes when you have something that's a little bit looser, then you're putting the responsibility on the player or players to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and trusting that they have the maturity to do so. Right. Mm-hmm. Um like D&D, like tabletop RPGs, for example, D&D, you know, there's a lot in there about the rules of the game, but there's like not a ton in the handbook about how you interact with other players, like, Mm -hmm. because they want you to be able to figure that out and you're closest to the people who you're playing with, so you should be in control of that. Um, Whereas you take something that's like, you know, like, League of Legends, and yeah. you've got like, um, oh, my brain is so bad today. Like, Apex, you know, like Apex Legends, yeah, any game with legends in it, I guess, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, like, those are pretty, like, define the way the opportunities that you have to interact with players, yeah, yeah. Not all of them are great, but like, they're it's very, de- it's very defined. And one of the things that can make those games like harder to balance is just because they're coming out with new content all the time, right? Um, it's not so much that like the game itself is broken it's how they are treating the content development of the game mm-hmm. that can lead to some problems um so i guess that's that's those are some things that come to mind i think the crux of the matter for me is like breaking like is it is it a feature or a bug right because like mm-hmm. when we think about a video game being broken we think about like technical glitches yeah right and that's like okay here's this part of the design that isn't that wasn't executed exactly right or it's not coming through as intended. Yeah. And that's, that's broken. Mm-hmm. Um, but also we use the term broken to refer to design issues. Yeah. There's like a fundamental unfairness that is countering a you know, running counter to the spirit of play that the game is communicating elsewhere. Right. Yeah. And I think that, yeah, it's interesting that we use the term broken to kind of apply to both of those things. Mm-hmm. But the, I think the implications for, you know, 
for designers is really different when you're depending on which one you're talking about, right? Yeah. The technical kind of broken is not what we're, what we're discussing. Yeah. Right. I, and the, I'm, I'm borrowing the term from board game discussions yeah. online, which are very much to refer to like, oh, I found a way that this game is broken, which means that like the rules don't work anymore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Essentially, that if, that if you play by the rules, you can essentially win if you do X and there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. And really what it means is, is in, it, maybe it's an unfair term for, because I'm trying to, put it in a positive light. Basically, yeah. it means that the game is not hermetically sealed. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to, to sort of imply that a game that is hermetically sealed is maybe not a goal we should really worry that much about. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, because I'm thinking, so I have some examples here that uh, I'll just run through a couple of these mm-hmm. because there are two types of games that are essentially broken. Yeah. There are ones where there are, are sort of perfect strategies mm-hmm. which, which can't be countered. Yeah. And that's essentially mainly what we're talking about. But there's other games which are solved games mm. where the, the, the rules are such that there is a, a way to always win. So tic-tac-toe is one of them. I yeah. think a lot of people understand this about tic-tac-toe, right. but it is a mathematically solved game. Mm-hmm. If you go first, the worst you can do is tie. Yeah. Right? Um, and if you go second, um, the you can also tie. Like, yeah. yeah. The best you the can best do you optimally can. is tie. Yeah. There's no, there is, if you know how it works, there's no way to lose, right. regardless if you go first or second. Uh, connect four is similar. If you go first and connect four, you will win mm. if you know how it works. Unless yeah. you're playing against your five year old nephew. Right. And that's, that's the thing about these games <laughs> yeah. is that it doesn't matter that they're solved. Yeah. Because it requires a level of expertise that is uninteresting. Mm-hmm. Right. And this is why, this is why sometimes I, I, I feel a little uncomfortable with speed running as a practice. Okay. Because I feel like it, I mean, at least the way it's done with video games online, the community around it is, is compared to other gaming communities, um, is a lot more, a lot less toxic. Oh yeah. Because it's a lot, you know, there's a lot less c- competition, uh, direct. Yeah. Yeah. Game, everybody's right? working together to beat each other. Right. People love good. when their records are broken. Yeah. Like there, there's a, there's a camaraderie in it that, that, that that's part of, part of its culture. Mm-hmm. But in terms of like mastering a game. Yeah. Feels like, I don't know that that is something that we have to, because you think about like, if you master uh, Connect Four, mm-hmm. um, like then it immediately is not fun. Mm-hmm. Unless all you care about is tricking someone who doesn't know this. I, like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like the, the, the thrill of the hunt is gone, right? Um, mm-hmm. Or like the, the Twilight Zone episode where, you know, you're at a, at a casino where you always win. That's yeah. heaven, that's hell, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so it, it does... It makes me think about like designing games that can be solved doesn't make them worse. You, you're just telling people that don't worry about solving it because then mm. you will not have fun anymore. I'm yeah. dealing with this very problem right now. Yeah. Actually, yeah. So I'm making a mini game for a course uh, that's a training course mm-hmm. and it's a corporate training course. Um, but because of the type of learning design that I do, it's all very scenario driven and very like behavioral oriented. So we aren't. It's like a PowerPoint presentation where people are reading slides. Yeah. It's like, here's a digital activity, engage with the digital activity, and you're going to develop your skills as you do so. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that we are doing in this is like trying, I, I tried to create a mini game where it kind of surfaces the dynamics between um, like what happens when you market and advertise your business versus like you're engaging with people in your pipeline and learning more about them. Mm-hmm. And then moving them through the pipeline from like the early stage where you know nothing to the middle stage where you know where you're starting to decide whether they're like an actual, like a good, they could be a good client or customer. And then the actual customer or client status where they've, they're, they're buying something from you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you need, it's a funnel, right? It's always shaped like a funnel whenever you learn about this kind of thing. And so I've been working on creating this mini game where 
you take different actions and based on the specific, you know, different marketing actions and then different like a like prospecting actions or whatever. And then, you know, different actions beyond that to bring people through the funnel. And because of like the market that you're focused on, certain ones of these actions are going to be more impactful Mm -hmm. on bringing people through the pipeline. And it's not complex enough a mini game that it's unsolvable. Right. Yeah. Right. But my expectation is that people are only going to play it a couple times. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not something I'm building like Monopoly. <laughs> right. Where you're going to come back to it and hate your family over and over again every <laughs> holiday season. Uh-huh. Right. Like you're going to go through it when you're taking the course and you're going to go through it again, maybe because you want to get a better sense of the dynamics. And if you're really into it, you might go through it a third time. But that's that's the maximum I ever expect anyone to go through is three times. Yeah. And at that point, they will have really cemented like what I want them to do is I yeah. want them to be what I want them to do is come away with a sense that it's really got to be a dynamic system. Mm-hmm. And the way that they can lean the, you know, the balance, the scales in their favor is by using these this category of strategies. Yeah. Um. So. The point is to indicate that it's a solved game. <laughs> right, right, right. So you want them. I mean, you've talked a lot about how like the the games are meant to t- teach real world concepts, and so you're not as invested in someone winning the game as you are invested in them walking away with the having uh, having collected the the lesson. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so it it doesn't really matter if they mechanically solve. It. Yeah. Well, they are going to be they're going to be learning the same things whether they learn or they 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 win it or they yeah. lose it. But it's just not. So, I mean, it, it's just not such a complex system that it's an unsolvable game. They will have, in three, in three playthroughs, they will have solved, they will have essentially solved it. Right. Yeah. Um, now, that being said, I am trying to inject a little bit of randomization in there. So it's more like, it's not like Connect Four, but yeah. more kind of like you're rolling dice, but mm-hmm. you know, not, you know, rolling dice, but then you get to add modifiers to what you come up with, you know? So like, it's. It's not completely random by any means. And but it's important because you actually want the play to be engaging and not uh, like immediately solvable and boring. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And as soon, you know, it's like it's limited to X number of rounds. I haven't figured that out yet. But mm-hmm. because it's limited to a small number of rounds because of the context in which people are playing this, like, yeah, it's it'll be pretty clear. It's going to be valuable for them from a learning perspective with only one playthrough. Yeah. And I want it to be fun and game-like um, as they go through it. But, yeah, it's not so complex that people will, will be able to, like, not figure it out. Right. You know, it's it's pretty graspable. But it's a little, I still want it to be fun. And so that was... That was, you know, that was that's the problem that I'm dealing with is this very thing. Like, it's, yeah, it's yeah. a solvable game. Mm-hmm. Um, and the particular strategy that I'm using to make it feel a little less rote mm-hmm. is to inject some randomness into the numbers. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's this is, brings you to an example that I think is sort of illustrates it a little bit what you're going through, which is uh, code names. Mm-hmm. So code names is a game that is broken. But mm-hmm. to break it, you have to be incredibly, it's not fun to break it. Yeah. yeah. So so the way code names work, like you can actually come up with a set of code words to basically tell your your uh, your teammates which uh, things to choose on the board. If you don't know how code names work, it's not that relevant. Mm. But basically, you have a limited amount of communications uh, that you can do to, to get people mm-hmm. to do something. Yeah. And so you can, ahead of time with your team, come up with a system right. that can break it. 
-hmm. Like it could be a really complicated system or it could be a a simpler system just to improve your odds. Yeah. It's completely breakable, even Mm -hmm. though it doesn't feel that way. Mm -hmm. But then you're not really having any fun. Right. Um, And so. Well, the fun could be in developing that system. But sure, I understand what you're saying. Yes. But but the (laughs) gameplay itself. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm being facetious. So when you think about uh, something you're designing and think about like, is this breakable? And you're like, well, it's totally breakable. I can totally see the way someone would break it. Yeah. But then you're like, well, would anybody bother? Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And and if they would, like, then they're just, then they're already not playing the game. So I don't care about them anymore. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's totally fine. That's what you're dealing with, right? If someone is playing it just to solve that, whatever, then like they're not playing it in the spirit of it anyway. So you don't need to worry about plugging it up well, if, too bre- much. Breaking the game is just demonstrating that you already know the stuff. So right. cool. Break yeah. it. Right. Move on. Fantastic. Right. In that case, it, it is, it is a, a sign that they've played it enough. Well, It's based on real world skills, right? And this is intended for people who are expanding into like a new area of business. And Mm -hmm. so they will be applying their previously acquired skills into a new context. But if they stop and think critically for a moment about the options that are available to to them in the game and how they're being asked to apply those options, they'll realize like, oh, well, yeah, based on this new, this new market. I might need to be leaning more towards these strategies. Yeah. And then they'll do that and the game will reward them for it. And that's what I want them to, that's it. Yeah. And it's good. I just want it to be more fun than having somebody tell them that because also it's like, if it's ga- engaging, it's going to sink into more people will be yeah. thinking about it. Yeah. I, I've already won as a, as a learning experience designer, that moment where they stop and they think about the strategies that, that they have right. available to them and what's going to work well. Mm-hmm. Perfect. That's what I want. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and so that's the thing, right? Like, uh, if the game is breakable but works towards the spirit of the game, then it works just fine. Yeah. Like, No More Jockeys is supposed to be a funny game, right? Where people, I mean, it's not like supposed to be taken seriously. Yeah. And so, like, if people break it, that is. Well, I int- mean, you are supposed to play to win. Oh, well, yeah. 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 Well, yeah, you play to win. It's but- not just an improv comedy game. Right. 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 I, yeah. And I don't mean to, like, take away well, that, from that. That's exactly but- why I use it as an example. Yes. Because it can be both. Yeah. Right. It, it can be one where you. Like you, 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 you know five strategies to break it, mm-hmm. but you are not motivated to do those things. It yeah. kind of takes me back to curling. <laughs> yeah, I knew I a lot of this stuff was, bring, was reminding right. me it, of this curling. This is essentially a stealth sequel to that topic. Uh, it, it, listeners can go back where I talked about the value of curling and how there's no referees fan, and all of that. Fantastic. Episode. Well, curling's not bro. Oh, well, never mind. I'm not going to start it now. We'll uh, <laughs> go back and listen to the episode. Yeah, I remember yeah. a lot of the things of it now. Yes. <laughs> right. Um, but I'm thinking, so just to throw in a couple more examples. Yeah. So like risk is a good one where risk uh, is essentially <laughs> if everyone hates risk, uh, but like if you if you start in Australia you win. Mm. And that's that it's not just like a, oh that's what people do and that's the easy way. That is the hardcore way to just win. Yeah. You just build up your forces in Australia, wait a little while and then just okay, I've got more that it, you just charge through the map then at yeah. a certain time. It is impossible to lose. Mm-hmm. And so that game is essentially broken. Yeah. Monopoly is another one where always buy houses, never buy hotels. It, that is the one yeah. s- secret you will never lose. And always be the banker. <laughs> well, th- then you can cheat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but the thing about that is that that's not a, a, a hotel is a way that you feel like you're progressing in the game. Yeah. But it is in fact not what you should do. Yeah. It does not. It costs too much for the gain that you get for it. Well, I, I I would argue that those are examples of games that you know are they're worse because they're broken and you can fix them in ways that don't make it less fun. Well, right. So the thing about those games yeah. is that, and this is why I'm using these as examples, yes. because they the brokenness of it survived because it's, they're both classic games. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't really, you'd have a lot of people complaining about the rule changes 
if there were rule changes to fix those things because sure. people already hold those those games in their hearts, right? Yeah. So it's kind of, they're unfixable. But yeah. the fact is, is that be, the fact that those things are broken about them doesn't really ruin the games unless you are a sourpuss that, <laughs> that only goes for that. Yeah. But the truth is, it's kind of hard to avoid it. Once you know that you don't, you just buy, hotel, buy houses, don't buy hotels, it's hard to not do that. Yeah. Right? Um, but you do, you do uh, take some of the fun out of it for yourself if you do. Mm-hmm. Um, risk is maybe a little different where you can probably just, you know you're not going to have fun if you're just turtling in Australia the whole time. Yeah. So you don't because then you'll have some fun. Yeah. Um, that would maybe a little bit easier to avoid. Yeah. Um, well, Monopoly is a weird one because it's like intended to not be fun. Like, <laughs> right? Oh, yeah. There's the whole history of Monopoly. Uh, right. Yeah. Exactly. It's, like, it's sort of outside the scope of the topic. Right. Yeah, it is. Which is just funny because it's like the way that I always the hotel thing is really interesting because I always thought that was a feature, right? Like Mm -hmm. you want to get houses on your property as soon as you can because you don't necessarily need you want to go up to hotels. But there's going to come a point in the game where if everyone's using that strategy, there aren't enough houses. And so like that, that is kind of the system, right? Like Mm -hmm. in this economic, this small economic system, that supply is now out. Mm -hmm. So in order to build on your property, you have to pay for the houses and the hotel all at once. Right. And so, yeah, I always thought that was kind of a feature of the game. But mm-hmm. the way that you fix risk is just to do nuclear risk. Right. Once every time around the table, you just blow up a country and it's, <laughs> it's dead from here on out. It is one of the reasons why risk has a lot of variants. Yeah. yeah. Like published variants is because it is essentially a very simple game that yeah. you t- you can tire of pretty quickly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But that, yeah, that's the premise, like the whole premise of the conversation is really interesting. Like just because it's broken doesn't mean you need to fix it oh yeah absolutely yeah. i mean i was thinking about like we you know we last week we we got further into dogpile yeah and we came up with some rule changes that seemed to make the game too easy mm-hmm. and we were like oh we'll fix this we'll balance it later but part of me is like i don't know it's just that's fun like yeah <laughs> even if you can't lose piles of dogs man. yeah it's 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 broken it's just an activity in the end you know? yeah yeah uh, i don't think we'll, we'll go that way with it but there are lots of games where that is sort of the case mm-hmm. where it's it's a little less important and the less you worry about playing optimally, the more fun you can just have, you know, but it's a real balance, right? Because yeah. games that are broken could advertise that in the rule sets. They could say, these are the things you could do to break the game. That's how roguelikes work a lot of the time. Like if you get a certain build, you you know, you just beat the game, but you have to like randomly get to that mm-hmm. point. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like that's the that's some of the you draw. Would, of that you game. wouldn't if you if you if you are blessed with that luck, you wouldn't then just kill yourself on purpose to try again yeah right you 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 take advantage of it well yeah yeah exactly and you yeah. go through the thing and then you try it again and try to get that kind of roll again right right right. um so yeah like those kinds of games are broken in ways that make it more fun right right so yeah, yeah you you can you can lean into those sorts yes of things, right but by, by introducing randomness um or by let yeah letting the player feel a lucky instead of accomplished mm-hmm. you know yeah um but what i was saying is you could yeah. put in like if you design a card game that that you realize can be broken by by players if they play this way. You could say that you don't even need to make a rule against it. You could just tell players this is how you break it. But if you want to have fun, don't break. It. Mm-hmm. But I feel like I feel like you kind of can't do that. I think it's too complicated a topic for people who are not game designers to understand. Yeah, I mean it's 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 an intuitive concept. It's not complicated on its face. But I think if you don't think about games that way. If you think about, I bought this game, I'm going to read the rules, that's how I'm going to play. I feel like that's a, a whole new universe of, of thinking mm. to, to think about like the, because it's not your job to make the game fun, it's the game's job to make the game fun. Right. So there's a, a sort of thing where like, it, it, as a designer, it's okay if your game is broken, but at the same time, you sort of have to keep it on the DL yeah. a little bit. I'm not sure about that. Unless you want to educate your audience about the virtue of, of you know, of, of fair bro- play and yeah. broken, broken mechanics. Uh-huh. I mean, 
and not hermetically sealing your activities. Mm. You know? But even if, well, here's the thing though, is mm-hmm. you might have a perfect rule set, right? Like, but there are still people playing it. <laughs> right. And you couldn't play the most fun game and be a jerk about it. Mm-hmm. And then it stops being fun. Yeah. Right. So even if you have a group of people who don't think about games, if you've got someone, you know, one person who does and they are going to use that that knowledge and that that those skills to their advantage in a way that is not fun for everyone else. Like you as a designer can't control that. So I I, I can see what you're saying that you might want to hide that information. But I'm thinking about it. Just know you surface it because now you're getting you're giving all your players equal access to this information. If you hide the information, then the only people who are going to find it are the people who have the skills to exploit it. If you surface the information, you're upfront about how it's broken, then you're giving that knowledge to players who wouldn't come across it otherwise. Well, in a case of a game with sort of equal, uh, opportunity for each player, then all it does is just give her, it's, you know, they give it, give everyone the nuclear weapon, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so then it's still fair. Mm -hmm. Um, but I'm talking about something that makes the game unfair. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, I think there's mm-hmm. oh, there's so there's a couple of examples that I really wanted to talk about, but I feel like we've run out of time on this one. Um, but it's something that's informing my design thinking lately. Mm-hmm. Is like games you can exploit in, in Dream Settler. Like I'm trying to think about like as we design the progression systems. Like I don't know how we have to be that precious about it uh, because a lot of the play of that game is reading the content. Um, and so I'm 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 thinking a little bit less about buttoning up all of the mechanics yeah. that I did at the start of it. So just. I don't know. Some definitely something to chew on. <laughs> There's kind of no end to this. Yeah, topic. yeah, yeah. It's definitely something to chew on. I'm definitely gonna have to come up with better arguments against it. <laughs> I, I knew it would be particularly challenging for you. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I can see the benefits, but yeah, it's real hard for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, I need help, y'all. I need some help. What do you need help? Um, with? I had proposed a uh, prompt in the Discord channel. Yeah, nice games oh. club slash Discord. Um, and I've retroactively realized it's not a very interesting to- <laughs> a prompt. I had prompted people to come up with ways to break games by changing one minor mechanical thing. Um, oh, and yeah. I kept using Super Mario Brothers as an example because it was one that came to mind at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are like so many easy ways to break every game <laughs> that it's yeah. not that interesting of a prompt. So you're saying, I thought there was some interesting conversation as well. There was some, oh, we had interesting conversations from it, but it wasn't. It was, the prompt in, it was in spite of your lousy prompt. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so what I want um, from listeners is to come up with a prompt and bring it to the Discord channel, nicegames.club/discord, um, and give us more entertaining and engaging conversation to have about Discord. Right, because if we can have a nice conversation with listeners on such a garbage prompt, <laughs> imagine what we could do with some interesting, engaging, and intelligent prompts right. provided by listeners. Yes. Oh, y'all, you're so smart. You're so smart. You're Look. saying that people can do that nicegames.club slash discord yes mm-hmm. yes okay nicegames.club slash discord yeah show me up please <laughs> <laughs> challenge I'm not gonna say accepted okay delivered delivered <laughs> as humans we're naturally driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed when I was looking to hire someone it was so slow and overwhelming I wish I had used indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Okay. My topic. Support systems. Yes. I'm not talking about the beams that keep your houses up. Right. You're not talking about uh, healers. No. Uh, not uh, talking about class. Uh, game yeah i'm not talking about those either mm-hmm. i'm talking about um the the things in the background that game developers sometimes talk about sometimes don't talk about that are allowing them that are helping them develop the game that isn't necessarily just like you know programming and such right um and specifically i'm not talking about like someone who's marketing your game because that is i think that's a part of game development um at least that's how i like to treat it i'm talking about like financial support like for instance um you know, you have a you have a full time job and that is helping you sustain your work on your hobby project or something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm also talking about uh, uh, people who you're like your friends, your family who are supporting you emotionally through your project, because sometimes making games is very stressful. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it, it is, it's, it's very difficult to keep yourself motivated to work on this for long stretches of time. Yes. Um, as as someone who has at various times gone with and without those types of systems yeah it is very easy to underestimate the value of that those emotional that emotional support yes absolutely fellow designers to talk with yeah community ideas off of yep to play test with yeah um that don't necessarily provide you with any material benefit to your production right but really help you make it happen yeah exactly um and so i wanted to bring that up not because i don't think that game developers are not talking about this because i think over the years, especially more recently, I think we've been a lot more open about talking about these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to bring it up because I think that people outside of the industry don't see it as frequently as they maybe should or could. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's important to te- put attention to. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I guess I just want to talk about that. And I uh, wanted to open up a dialogue with you all about it specifically. And, you know, if you can be as open as you want about your own support system. Yeah, I think that a lot of times with like with with support with people support systems, uh, particularly like emotional support, like spouses and the like, um, they uh, get like credits at the end of the game. They put in the special thanks section, right? And there's just a bunch of names and right. Thanks to my spouse and kids. Yeah, yeah. Put up with me staying late. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's a very common message. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean that's another problem. Uh, (laughs) Is having a place to live while you're working on a game is important. yeah, I, I saw a lot of those things come in, but I think another thing that like is important is particularly the the financial backing that developers get in order to make their games. Mm-hmm. A lot of money goes into making games. Game, I think people outside of the industry don't particularly recognize, or isn't it isn't as apparent right away because right, a lot of that money is not budgeted. Yes, right. Yeah, 
And I, I think a lot of times people see like indie darlings. I, what springs to mind immediately for me is Cuphead because I've been playing it recently, but also their story met, tracks with what I was talking about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think infamously, Moldenhauer Brothers, I think that's their names, the developers, um, they sold a house in order to get funding. They sold their house in order to get funding to, def- to finish developing Cuphead. Um, and so like it was, it was an extreme risk for them. Um, it paid off, but like, you know, them being able to do that, um, allowed them to be successful. Right. You're not talking about the risk. You're talking about the fact they had a house to sell. Exactly. Yeah. Not everybody has a house, um, that they can sell, that they can, you know, use as financial backing for their games. Right. And that doesn't take anything away from the amount of risk they took. Yes. But there is privilege in there. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And not everybody has that privilege. Not everybody has the ability to, you know, uh, take all of their earning money time and spend it on a game when you're mm-hmm. not earning money until the game comes out mm-hmm. um, or until you get funding for it through publishers or whatnot. Yeah. Um, and, and that takes a lot of time, too, because of the way publishers work, you need to create a demo for them to play so that you can prove to them that this product will be successful mm-hmm. um, in some form or fashion. Um, so, like, it takes... You have to invest your time and money in order for to get to that point. Um, and that's another cost in itself. <laughs> one day we should talk about, uh, we've talked about publishers before, but one day we should talk about it from a developer's perspective, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Please give me money, but first I have to prove to you that I could make this without your money. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even even from a hobbyist perspective, like, uh, like I, I said uh, up front, like um, a lot of hobbyists just work on games um, on the side after you know at the at the end of the day after their uh, their full-time positions mm-hmm. um and that i mean is a privileged quote unquote position to be able to do that and, and i mean it is because not everybody has a job but um or a, a, a well-paying job that where they can spend that much time you know it's still an it's still an aspect mm-hmm. um of development that i think is it's hard to see outsider looking in right and it's sometimes hard to track yes your successes it has many um contributors yep and mm. it's hard to sometimes track how much each contributed and, uh, and how much are dependencies. As a result of that, too, it's sometimes hard to give credit to that if you want to give them credit in, in form, of, you know, in the game in some form or fashion. Right. Um, yes, yeah, so a lot of times it can be like that kind of support can be stretched out over a long period of time. And it's just hard to like, yeah, to value it in a way that gives a fair amount of credit to the the system that you were mm-hmm. able to, to, to get from. Um, so yeah, I guess um, I guess the next step, I guess for what I want to talk about um, for the rest of the topic maybe is to just discuss our own support systems, what mm-hmm. they look like, and then maybe listeners can get an insight as to how you know it worked for us and maybe um, get a better understanding of what kinds of things go into game development. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I guess I'll start. Uh, <laughs> I uh, so you know I uh, my origin story, the the Stephen business story. <laughs> it, um, I was, you know, I went to school for a while, um, dropped out because uh, it wasn't working for me. And I went to school again and I dropped out. Y'all have heard that before. Um, but I went, I was, I worked for this um, small architecture and engineering firm called Vetti Associates um, after that, after school, um, after I dropped out. Uh, and I was able to financially somewhat support myself through that and also by living with my parents for a while because they had a house. And I was able to live there for a while, and they allowed me to live there for a while. <laughs> and I'm annoying, so. <laughs> uh, so that, before yeah. we move on from that, your, yes. your parents were happy to have you live at home. Yes, that's true. Right, it wasn't a case of you like hanging on. I was not burdening them in that way. Right, they yeah. were not pushing you out. Right, and that was that was an advantage you you had. Yes, 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and it's not always the case. Like they might, like people don't, you know, necessarily have uh family that are, you know, welcome them in or are able to welcome them in. Right. Um. So yeah, I was, you know, benefited by that, and so I was able to work on Fingence, um, probably like you know, part time, sort of as a part time job, mm-hmm. um, and also at at my job at Vetti Associates sometimes too, because it was um, not a demanding job. It was not a demanding job. I had a lot of free time. Um, most of my job was like answering, writing, and answering emails for my boss. Um, and helping him with computer support stuff because he was older and he didn't really know how computers work. Um, so yeah, I did that um, for a while. And then, you know, I worked on Fingence to a point where it was an impressive piece of software. And then I... <laughs> Do you say so yourself? <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and then I applied for a job at Pixel Lakes. Uh, and, you know, they saw all the games I worked on and particularly Fingence was the one that impressed them the most. Uh, I mean, I'd, I'd done game jams and stuff too. So like mm-hmm. I, I had a portfolio built up. Yeah. Um, but you know, they, they, they saw all those games and they saw Fingence and they were like, Oh, we should hire this person. And they hired me. Mm-hmm. And then I was able to work there full time for a little while. Um, and then I applied at future club using the portfolio that I built up at Pixelix, And that gave me the opportunity to, you know, work at future club because they saw my work again and hired me. Mm-hmm. And so ultimately I would not be able to do a lot of those things if I had not had the time to work on Fingence. Mm-hmm. Um, those, Support systems allowed me to get to that point. So that's my story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all want to go? Um, so I, uh, I've talked about in the show before. I came from a different career. Yes. So I worked as a, for a decade as a video uh, uh, editor and animator. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I did some development in, in that work. Um, and so I had, a, I think the advantage I, I had as a game developer is that I had a lot of the skills to be a game developer yeah. that I had developed in other careers and those careers paid me money. Yeah. Um, so I had, you know, and hobbies and all of that. Like, so I, I came to my game development career a little bit, maybe better equipped than some others. Mm. I also came into it a decade after most people do. Yeah. yeah. So I, that maybe that's a wash. I don't know. Um, but, I mean, experience helps. Yeah. 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 So it's definitely, I was, it was, I think I was also, and we've talked about this on the show before for like willingness to learn new things. Yeah. I was ready to do that and put in a ton of time on that. Mm-hmm. And I'm afforded the ability to do that for, by a couple of things. Mm. One is uh, I have a dual income household. I, yeah. I live with my wife and we have, you know, we file our taxes jointly. So yeah. we're the kind of couple that just mingles it all together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, and we have traded places over the years as to who is the primary breadwinner yeah and so it's not really a topic in our household yeah like we don't really care mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. uh we have always been where we've always been in a combination of incomes that has supported us just fine yeah um and so we've never had the we've never worried about somebody not working for a little while yeah the reason my wife may had to maintain uh work uh, consistent work mm-hmm. and i didn't necessarily have to mm. is is my fault, which is that um, I have uh, um, up until the uh, Affordable Care Act passed. Yeah, you know, I've I've type one diabetes. It's a chronic condition. I am uninsurable, mm. or I was uninsurable um, if I wasn't already insured. Yeah. So I also, I mean, who knows how much it really ma- it came into, into play? But mm. my wife and I got married right out of college, mm-hmm. and I so I I was always uh, on my parents' insurance until yeah. I got married. Yeah, we didn't do that on purpose, but it was even at the time we noted like, wow, that's lucky. Yeah, um, yeah, because it would have been difficult, and so I would have had a lot. Of har- so I benefited from that, and uh, and always my wife always had a, and because of that fact of our lives, which is more of a burden than a benefit, mm. that meant I, that we oh, were always in a position where my wife had a consistent job because the career I was in, 
I never, I've never had a job that have had benefits. Yeah. Oh. So because of the work that I've done, it's always right. been freelance or uh, working for very small uh, firms. Okay. Um, or the 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 biggest job I ever, the highest paying job I ever had. Uh, still, I was being paid as a contractor, mm. um, e- even though I was working full time. Yeah. And that's just the type of work I did. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's not fair to my wife, really. But basically, um, it meant that we always had to have a consistency of insurance. That that burden l- lessened in the past decade, which is nice. Yeah. But um, because of that, I was I've always been able to take some time off from paying clients mm-hmm. to do personal projects. Yeah. And in the past, that was short films um, or other productions. Um, or uh, I would take a couple. I would take six months and learn a thing, mm-hmm. and then I would get work with that. So I've always had that freedom, and that comes in part because my wife and I. Uh, share an income in part because the work that I had done paid well enough that I could have savings. Yeah, and so we've always I've always been in a privileged position that way. Okay, um, and so because of that, when I was a, so getting purely into my game development career, yeah, um, I was able to work um, almost full time on Metro Nexus for a long time, mm-hmm. develop a lot of the skills I needed for that. Um, then I took a job just to to save some money. And I stopped working on Metro Nexus mm. a lot. And then um, I quit that job in part, not entirely, but in part so I could work because I was getting I was getting frustrated that I wasn't spending enough time yeah. on my own projects. Yeah. And I had earned enough money at that job. And I always had that cushion that I've always had to work on Widget Satchel yeah. um, and to put a lot more time in that. And I spent two years on Widget Satchel and the whole team put a lot of effort into Widget Satchel. Right, right. But I was able to put in like full-time work in Widget yeah. Satchel because- yeah. Uh, I had left the the job that I'd had before that. And right. I was able to do that. I was very privileged to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Because of that, that is essentially what led to the a lot of the career opportunities that I had after that. And it's, it hasn't been that long since then. But the two big projects I've worked on since, mm-hmm. uh, Closed Hands and now Dream Settler, um, a lot of those had to do with the work I'd done previous. Yeah. So Closed Hands was a game that was built in uh, uh, using the OpenFL platform. That's what I uh, worked on with uh, Metro Nexus, and so when when the call went out for someone to help on that, I had the experience I needed, and I'd gotten that experience by being able to devote a lot of my time in those periods between jobs. Yeah, and then when the when Dream Settler the job for that came up, um, I was able to a- apply for that uh, because it was one of the things they wanted for it. It's amazing how much more I'm doing with it now, but it started out as a, a building tools and localization systems. I think I've talked about this show before, but Hypnospace Outlaws, uh, like Dream Settler, is very content heavy. Yeah. Hypnospace Outlaws is, is impossible to localize. Yeah. They built it in a way that it's just impossible, even more mm. so than other games that are impossible to localize. Okay. And so that was an immediate goal from the, from the start. And so they needed someone to be able to help with that. Yeah. And I had built, because I had all this extra time to develop this thing, I had built <laughs> this great localization system for Widget Satchel. Right, yeah. And I had done that just on my own because I had the time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had the freedom and the extra time to do it. And yeah. so because of that, that is a big part of why I got the job um, doing the work I do in Dream Settler. Yeah. And that job is now paying me um, to, which is, allows me to open up this co-working space, right, yeah. which I would not be able to afford otherwise. Yeah. Um, and that job doesn't even pay that well <laughs> because I still have some cushion and yeah. I, because, uh, uh, you know, because, um, I have a dual income household. Yeah. And so I have all these advantages that have been, that are compounded over the years. Yeah. So that's why I told, that's why my story is really long is because it start you start out with some advantages yeah. and then when you leverage those advantages, they, it gets stronger and stronger and stronger. Right. And so that, it, it, it ends up being really frustrating if you don't have those, yeah. those support mm-hmm. systems. Absolutely. Because 
in order for them to really benefit you, they have it does take a while. Yes. For for you to see results for that. Yeah. Right? It's not that it's sometimes it's the you know someone, you have a family friend and that gets you a job. Great. That seems like an easy win. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's just a, puts you in a position that you can leverage, but that takes time. Yes. And if you don't have those support systems um over time, mm-hmm. um you can't get that process started. Yeah. And I've been lucky enough to be able to through, you know, a couple of the advantages I've had and to be able to leverage them properly. Yeah. Um, I, it's, um, you, can, um, you think back at the things that you have and like, wow, how would I have been able to do any of this without even one of those things? I yeah, have, you know? yeah, yeah. It's kind of incredible. Thank you for sharing that, Mark. Mm-hmm. Ellen. Hey, <laughs> yeah, the idea that the fact that advantages and support systems tend to compound over time mm-hmm. and g- become more enmeshed and um, strengthen each other over time, it's kind of like a root system of a tree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, which like provides literal actual support to the tree. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, the tree gets bigger, the roots get bigger, the tree gets bigger, the roots get bigger. And yep. so the tree grows with its root system and it becomes more stable and it becomes larger and it just gets, then the larger the tree goes, the bigger the roots, just, you know, it, it yeah. compounds on each other. Just like right. you were saying, I think that's really um, important to think about. Like, you know, you can you can take an advantage and go all the way back to the beginning. It's like, oh, I had a very supportive family, and they really valued education, and like they mm-hmm. helped pay for my tuition. Mm-hmm. Blah blah blah. Um, I think in my adult life, like post college, one of the really big advantages that continues to compound is that Eric and I don't have kids. A and we're a du- we have been most often a dual income household. We aren't mm-hmm. right now because of various reasons. Um, but when we moved down to the cities, we lived in an apartment for a while. And then in 2013, we decided we were going to get a house. Mm-hmm. And this was like just <laughs> the housing market starting to recover from the 2008 crash. Yeah. Um, and we were just starting to get, you know, money together. I was not comfortable with the idea of taking on a mortgage. But, you know, the argument that now like that was the right moment to stretch ourselves a little bit and, yeah. and make it happen because it, the, the market was recovering. Um, it was a, it was a convincing argument and it made a lot of sense. And so we did like we lean on my parents a little bit to be able to purchase a house at that time. Yeah. And since then, I mean, we've moved twice more Yeah, yeah. and we've quote unquote upgraded houses each time. Um, and that's worth mentioning here because that's, that is like, that's net, that's net worth, right? Yeah. Like yeah. that's. Um, that is an asset. If I did want to sell my house so that I could, you know, live under, you know, live in a van and finish an indie game, then I have like a lot more house to sell. Yeah. And I think that's a really important thing. It's like, especially considering like disadvantaged millennials and Gen Z have been like situationally and economically. Um, that was a really big blessing. That was a, that was really fortunate. Mm -hmm. Um, and the fact that Eric and I were both working through much of that is what, what enabled that. Um, in terms of like my game development career, it's not what I went to school for. Yeah. And the thing that I went to school for is not what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it <laughs> took like a lot of shuffling to even become adjacent to game development. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I started out of teaching that wasn't for me and got into e-learning development and that really worked. And I still work in that space. Um, but the solutions I design and develop now are much more complex than I did originally. I do a lot more strategic level consulting and I'm doing a lot more client facing, you know, I'm like a senior level learning experience designer at this Mm -hmm. point, but I'm also doing the game development side. And I think that just because of when, when I happen to be doing things 
and what my skill set was at those periods of time, it kind of enabled me to position myself as someone who could provide value in the game-based learning space because it's really, it's not a very, it's it's a new space. Yeah. Um, and it's a really exciting time to be involved in education because of all the opportunities and experimentation that technology affords. Uh, yeah, you get to bring a lot of innovation that other fields have used in, for their benefit, but so much of it is new and unexplored right. in your space. Right, and because of because of the background I have in education and because of the job experience I got while being a corporate e-learning designer and consultant, it's enabled me to kind of, and because of like this, the study and the work that I've done in the game design space, I was kind of able to synthesize all that into something that's like a meaningful career. Yeah. Um, it's, which is a little scary because it's kind of undefined. Um, but I don't think I'd want to be working in a space that was like completely laid out. Yeah. You yeah. know, I don't think I'd want to be working in any industry where it's like, this is the path that you take and you're going to work here for 30 years. And I don't think that, I'm not even sure those exist anymore, A. Right. And B, I don't think that would be fulfilling for me. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think um, for now, that's kind of like the backstory. For now, like the day-to-day -day support systems that I really lean on, it's definitely Eric, my husband. He's not working right now. He's um, decided he wants to focus on athletics for the moment. Mm -hmm. um, he, We've talked about this on the show before too, but he has ADHD. And he was diagnosed as an adult. Um, he find because of that, he finds it really, really difficult to like do long-term full-time work. Mm -hmm. Um, so he tends to, when he, when he is focused on like income earning, go hard into something that's really interesting, become like an expert in it, start coaching people on it. And then like two years later, he's done. <laughs> mm -hmm. Um, yeah. cause he just gets that, he gets that hyper-focused advantage and he can learn things really fast. And he's just very articulate and helps other people make sense of the space and, then he goes hard and realizes all the things that are broken and he is done with it. <laughs> yeah. And then he pivots and does something like training for an Ironman for two years or whatever. So that's what he's doing right now. Um, but, but he's also taking care of like a lot of the home stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. So like I'm the, the sole income earner right now, although he's just some other things. He, he's helping me with the business a little bit. Um, and so he's helping us bringing income there and he does like a little bit of investing in some stuff on the side. So he, has a little bit of there, but I'm I'm the main income earner. He takes care of like all of the house stuff. Yeah. And he helps back like he helps monitor the budget when I need to step in because he needs my signature or something that he lets right. me know. Right. So he he's taking care of like the home front. He's taking care of the bulk of the dog and the work with the dogs because right. they need to be exercised and everything every day. He takes yeah. them to the vet. He does the grocery shopping and so on and so forth. Um does a lot of the household chores. And so I don't have to spend energy on that, which right. is really important this year because I've been working a boatload. <laughs> that was not the word that I was going to say. <laughs> but I remembered Stephen. You were looking Stephen right in the eye. Uh, <laughs> boatload. Thank um, you. That's one of the things when we talk about, you know, uh, living w with a spouse, that you get that dual income advantage when you when it, when it that time comes. Mm -hmm. But it, it's just, it's dual everything. Yeah. It's, yeah. Right? One of the things that uh, my, my wife, sort of taught me about years ago was this thing that like when when a spouse dies and you're you you mourn the loss of your of your love but also you lose half of your knowledge yeah you know like yeah. you know it, there, there's the one of you that knows how to program the vcr like that's, mm -hmm. the, that's the the gag but that's true all the things right yeah how the, the hell did that topic come up <laughs> 
<laughs> well, like, this is really dark. Well, you know, but like it's uh, I don't have to I don't deal with insurance paperwork. Yeah, I'm I'm yeah. 38 years old and I don't know anything about my yeah. insurance. Yeah. You know, I, I know a bunch of things about stuff in our domestic life that Dale doesn't have to deal with. Right. right. Like, it's the same. It's and it's because we split those tasks. Exactly. And so that actually affords you a lot in your life. Yeah. Um, that isn't specifically just related to money. Need one of those spouses. <laughs> I, I tell you, they're great. You should get one. You should get one. <laughs> it's it's not just the logistical support though, right? Like yeah. I think a lot of the things, Mark, that you and I have mentioned Ed, that we, you know, talked about when it comes to our spouses is like the logistics and the financial. But like the most important thing is the emotional support. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> for yeah. sure. Cause it's like I get to he Eric brought me coffee this morning. I, slept in. I was like, sleep. I was so tired. It's just been a week. And I was planning on staying up late last night. And instead, I just distracted myself with my stupid phone until like 12 in the morning. <laughs> it was one of those moments where like, I should do something for work, but I just like, I just can't. Yeah. Yeah. And totally. I just want to give my brain like the brain equivalent of Doritos and feel gross about it and then go to bed. Yeah. And that is what I did. And so I was tired this morning and I woke up at like 730. My alarm was going off and I turned it off. And I like stretch, I take a deep breath and I realize I smell coffee. And that's because Eric brought me a cup of coffee and he put creamer in it and he Aww. put it right on my bed. And I got to have my, I probably delayed me getting out of bed some more, but you know what? <laughs> like I felt very cared for. Yeah. Yeah. And so, helps. And it helps you throughout the day, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's not even, I mean, like being able to work from home is fantastic too. Cause I we can, I come down and be like, Hey, I'm taking a break. What are you doing? Yeah. Oh, I'm doing this. I'm like, well, that's boring. I'll go away. Or I'm playing Monster <laughs> Hunter. Ooh, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. You know? So just like the it's the day to day like being able to check in with someone who cares about you yeah is yeah and it's uh, I think when you're when you're an artist and you a lot of times you want you want the support for your work right yeah. you want I think a lot of artists probably have this feeling where they want to show their work to their spouse or their partner yeah for some feedback some reinforcement some critique. Um, stuff like that. I will say, uh, Dale is essentially uninterested in the games that I make. <laughs> yeah. Which is actually kind of unusual because like Dale's a big presence in Nice Games Club. Yeah, she right. She helps us run the show. Yeah. And and I think she does that because she loves me. <laughs> I, th I think she has a great time and she she really likes the show. Yes. But, like, she likes us too. Or she likes us. <laughs> but, but, I, but I bring that up because like when, when I... When I show my work to Dale, she doesn't have a lot of reaction to it. Sure. Yeah. And that can be very frustrating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But uh, because that's not the relationship we have. That's not the support she gives. Yeah. Me, right. And so when you do have someone to lean on, you got you do need to know what you can lean on them for and like not just burden them with half of your troubles. Yeah. Right. Right. You, it, it depends on that compatibility. Yeah. I, I complain about my brother a lot on the show, but one thing he's very good at is you know, building up my projects and stuff that I release. Sometimes yeah. I'll be like, oh, this, and, you know, it's a minor thing. And that's my segue yeah. into it's not just the spouses. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Family, it's friends, friends and, community. And coworkers and yeah, all yeah, of all of that stuff. All of that contact. stuff. You're all of that stuff is support. Um, yeah. Yeah, thank you all for being so candid about things. I appreciate it. Uh, I think part of the reason why people, you don't hear it as much is because a lot of these support systems can be quite personal. Right. Um, and. They're not. They're not always or, gamers' business. Well, know? yeah, and also you, you, it's your life. You don't yeah. know any other. Yeah. So it doesn't feel like it's an advantage. It just it, is what you got. That's very true. That's very yeah. true. It's yeah. not. Un, it's not unfair when someone doesn't realize mm -hmm. what they have. I mean, it's. I. I wish for everyone to have more self reflection, but like, it's hard to. It's hard to recognize the advantages you have. Yes, it is. It is. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, that's what that phrase like, "stop and smell the roses" means. Mm -hmm. It might not be roses. You probably don't have roses in your life. <laughs> but like, if you do have someone 
who's a rose or is named Rose. I'm going too far afield with this. <laughs> just, yeah, you know, just some take this podcast, this moment. Stephen has provided you this opportunity yeah. to be like, yeah, who does support me? And you can give him like a funky card or give him some pizza rolls or say hi. Yeah, that's a really good point that Ellen almost made. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to go home and I'll be like, Eric, am I, an art- am I an articulate adult? And he'll be like, meh. <laughs> and I'll laugh and it'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's our show. For show notes and links on today's topics, go to our website, nicegames.club. Visit us on Twitter at Nice Games Club, where Dale, Dale, tweets about game dev resources and find the duck. I know what she's talking about. It was really good. It was hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we like hearing from you, so tweet back or email us, contact at nicegames.club. Nice Games Club is on Patreon. Support the show and get stuff. Sign up at patreon.com slash nicegamesclub. And if you want to keep things more casual, just stop by nicegames.club slash discord, you know it, and say hello. So, until we start again, remember to play nice and make nice. I'll start this one too. Yeah, we're 50 minutes in, so. 50? Yeah, that's why I shut us down. Heck, okay. Um, I need help, y'all. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun... Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.